motorcycle men. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. This is episode number 82. I am Ted, and here I am in the V-Twin Cafe all by my lonesome. Well, actually, not really. Today, I've got another wonderful, great guest joining me. But first, I want to thank all of our Patreon subscribers and to all of our fans who have donated and have uh, given us some wonderful, wonderful reviews and some great feedback. I want to thank you all very much. It's because of you people that this podcast can do what it does. I want to thank you all for listening. So listen, if you are one of these long-distance kind of riders, and if you are one of these people who likes to uh, post your rides on one of the many and apps that's available out there, like Rever, maybe, and maybe Eat, Sleep, Ride, or well, whatever program or app that you use to, to track your rides, well, here at the Motorcycle Man Podcast, we like to use Rever. Rever is our favorite. Now, not only is Rever our favorite, but... Rever runs these challenges every now and then, and you're free and welcome to enter in one of these challenges. Last year, in 2016, the Rever app had a challenge where you were able to high mileage. The top mileage winner is our guest tonight on the Motorcycle Man podcast, clocking in more miles that I could only dream of. Uh, that man is Paco Winner, or and on Rever, he's known as Paco Parasuave. And you can also look him up and follow him, but let him tell you all about that. All right, joining me now here on the Motorcycle Men podcast, all the way from, where are you? Fort Lauderdale, Florida. All right. Uh, it's John Winner, uh, also known as Paco. Uh, joining me, he's the uh, 2016 Rever Mileage Challenge winner. Welcome to the Motorcycle Men podcast. Well, thank you so much, Ted. It's good to be here with uh, you and your people. I'm glad to have you here. You know, it's funny because my brothers and I on the show, we talk about doing a lot of riding and things we like to do and rides we would like to go on and just all that. And then we, you know, I'll enter the contest and I'll get this pitiful amount of mileage per year. And we'll all get this pitiful amount of mileage. We'll, we'll do the riding that we can do. And then there's guys like you who go out and do this crazy amount of mileage. And it's just, it's, it's staggering. It's absolutely staggering. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you rode on your challenge when you, you did this challenge with Rever and it just, tell us all about this. Now you rode 79,660 miles in 2016. That's correct. That was on this one principal motorcycle that I do most of my riding on. It's a 2015 Indian chieftain. Oh, really? Right. And, you know, it's not common in and amongst this subset of extreme endurance, long distance riders to ride anything but a Harley Davidson. That's typically what the world or a BMW or a BMW. The BMW guys are not necessarily involved in the subset that I'm in. The subset that I'm in is tied very closely to the Hokahei Motorcycle Challenge. Okay. And then to be in the Hokahei Motorcycle Challenge, you have to ride an American made V twin oil-cooled motorcycle, which limits you to either a Harley-Davidson, a Victory, or an Indian. And then within that group, I mean, there are guys in the Iron Butt Association who ride BMWs and Goldwings, and they put on severe mileage. I'm sure there are guys out there, I know there's one guy who in a single year pulled 150,000 miles out. Oh, that's insane. 
that's a whole nother level of, you know, I could imagine doing it now from where I'm at now, I could imagine doing it, but I know the level of commitment that it takes to do that. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm even cut out for it because I have a girlfriend (laughs) and I I just spend time with her. Is that a deterrent? (laughs) Yeah. Within 150,000 miles, believe me, you're not spending much time with anybody but the bike. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I started off, you know, motorcycle riding, you know, as a rebellious child, um, spreading my wings and running away from mom and telling her I'm going to do it my way. And just like everybody else, I got the fastest, meanest sport bike that there was to have out there. And I rode that. And then that suited me all the way through my 20s and then right up until I was about 30. And I realized at that point that I could no longer think fast enough to make the decisions necessary <laughs> to stay on top of that thing. So, so I got rid of that and I wound down, up with right? a dual sport off-road bike, right. but right. I never took it off-road. I just liked that throttle response. It was a KLR 650. I loved it. And I rode that for a number of years until a devastating motorcycle accident put me out of that game. And at that point, having children and a wife, uh, you're limited to the fact that if you're going to be crippled, that's not going to be acceptable to your family. Yeah. So I gave up motorcycle riding for a number of years. And then when I came back to it, I came back to it as the fat older guy and you get a cruiser. <laughs> that's what you get. You're sort of resigned to that's what, or BMW, you can do that. Yeah. But I don't particularly care for Starbucks. So the BMW <laughs> didn't seem like much of an option. Yeah. Just a little jab to the BMW guys. I do have one of those as well. I just still don't like Starbucks. Um, but I do ride this Indian. I bought the Indian. I had a Road King before that, and I had a Y-Glide and a Fat Boy and a bunch of different, you know, Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Yeah. Um, But I came to a point in the road that sent me into another direction. Mm -hmm. And that was sitting and chatting with a buddy of mine. And he said, why don't you ride this Hokahe motorcycle challenge? And I said, you know, I've heard of it, but I don't think I can do it because it interferes with the Sturgis Rally. Uh, Sturgis Rally in the social endeavor that that is mm-hmm. with a bunch of friends. And I like the social you know, environment there. So I said, I don't think I can do it because Sturgis is already planned and I've got my wristband and I'm ready to go. And he goes, dude, it's a month before Sturgis. You can easily do both. And that's what started, head, you know, started spinning my head. And I realized if I can do both, that means I'm going to have to ride from Florida to California traverse the entire United States, finish after going to the tip of Maine, back to New York, and then I'm going to have to ride from there to South Dakota. (laughs) You got nothing else better to do, right? Well, I I looked at it in my life and I said, you know, I think I can fit this in. (laughs) So I applied to do the Hokahe Challenge. And they accepted me and said, apparently, they thought I had what it took to complete the Hokahe Motorcycle Challenge without dying. Okay, briefly, because I've never heard of it until you just know. What is the Hokahe Challenge? The Hokahe Motorcycle Challenge is the brainchild of Beth Durham, and I believe it's her husband. I could be wrong about that, Jim Redcloud. And what they did is they brought the original one forward as a very, very high money, you know, big dollar payout, half a million dollar prize contest that was designed to be the ultimate motorcycle challenge ride. But there was a prize at the end and it stimulated 
within these riders a very fierce and intense competitive nature to win a half a million dollars. Anybody who thought that they had enough badass and enough everything to give it to it and had a shot at this came out to race it. And it, it worked out in the end so that two guys in a dead heating duel riding from Key West to Homer, Alaska, wow. um, finished side by side in agreement that they would split the prize rather than try to kill each other to the end of the road. And that was, I think, the only year there was a prize. After that, it's been successively run without prize money, but just for the pure challenge of it. And I am here to tell you, that is a defining moment that will put you on the spot in a way that most people will never, ever, ever feel. So this is a ride from Key West to Alaska? Is that the challenge? It has taken on several different um, routes. Um, The route that I ran, the first one that I became aware of and slotted myself into was the 2016 Hokahei, which was last summer. And that ran from Temecula, California to Wolf's Run, the Seneca Nation in New York, right outside of Buffalo, Gowanda, New York. But it covered all the way to the tip of Maine and ran through 29 states. Now. The premise of the challenge is you don't use any electronic navigation at all. So no phone, no GPS, no route mapping, nothing. You get the route handed to you in turn-by-turn MapQuest-style directions. Oh, really? Oh, my God. However, you know, just like a roll chart or any of these other familiar means of navigation, it looks just like a roll chart, but it's in a page form. Okay. And it's deliberately vague. (laughs) So it will say, instead of turn in 36.2 miles off of Route 16, take a right onto Route 50. This one says, go less than 50 miles on Route 16, take a right on Route 50, and then go 50 miles or less on Route 50 and turn left on Route 24. And that's the nature of it, and it covered 10,000 miles Oh, across man. the entire United States, no interstates, no oh, highways. Wow. Really? All secondary routes, two-lane roads, going to some of the craziest destinations that you could even dream of. Yeah. If you yeah. just picked yourself the ultimate road trip and you said, I want to go here, I want to go there, I want to go here, I want to go there, I want to go here, I want to go there, with no regard whatsoever yeah. for what it takes to get from this place to that place to this place to that place, yeah. that's what you'd have. Yeah. You couldn't – one of our guys said it best. He said, you wouldn't pick this route. You might ride it. You could do it, but you would never pick this route, and that's what it was. It was a route that was just unbelievable. And then you throw the challenge requirements on top of that. Yeah. It's you not, have to sleep on the ground next to your bike. That was you a requirement? Use, yeah, that's a requirement. You can't use a hotel or motel or couch surf or anything like that. You have to sleep outside next to your bike. Oh, <laughs> You can't have any other support mechanically or navigationally that comes to you. No Bluetooth in your helmet, so you can't communicate with anybody. You're just at it, going at it. And it took me 12 days to finish. And even at that, I, my only ambition was 
just to survive this thing yeah. and hopefully finish. Hopefully finish. But my main ambition was to survive and not die. <laughs> well, that's a good ambition. That's yeah. a good ambition. Good, you know, when I you put so. it up there in the big scheme of things, that's what you want yeah. to do. I don't want to yeah. It was incredible. It was just an, an incredible life-defining moment where I recognized about five days into it, I was passing through Colorado, and I knew I had it. I absolutely knew at that point that I had it, that I was going to finish, right. and I was probably going to live. <laughs> so at that, I decided I'm just going to relax and take it easy. And that is precisely what I did. I relaxed. I took it easy. And I just simply finished. Um, or actually, I, that was my intention. But when I hit Rhode Island, you know, at the last checkpoint, when they handed me a new set of directions, and I'm sitting there eating some chicken, and, you know, everybody's a little excited in the dealership. And then another rider showed up, a guy named Raymond Stenberg. And I'm chatting with Raymond. Hey, how you doing? Everything's going good. And then I thought I was probably in about 12th or 15th, you know, good position, yeah. but nothing aggressive. And then that's when it came to me that Raymond was one of the front runners. Well, hang on a second here. And I asked the guy in the dealership that I registered with, I said, what order did I come in? And he said, you came in fourth. Oh, wow. it changed everything. Fourth, we had there were several accidents that happened yeah. um, in a rainstorm as people were coming through Virginia that took several people out. Ooh, and it happens. It happens. And, you know, really skilled, highly professional riders and the circumstance took them out. And now all of a sudden I'm fourth. So it's not just that I'm going to finish because with less than 2000 miles to go, I'm going to finish. Yeah. It's a question of in what order. And I said, the guy who came in in front of me, how far ahead of me is he? And they said, he, you know, he left right when you showed up. And I'd been sleeping for four hours, <laughs> so four hours ahead of me. Oh, man. I knew I could get him. Yeah. I knew I could get him. So I took off out of there like a bat out of hell. And I rode the entire length of Maine around the loop um, over a thousand miles in just about 22 hours. <laughs> and I caught him. Oh, really? I was, caught him. You must have been I exhausted. Realize, I didn't realize why I caught him. I just knew that I caught him. And then now that I caught him, I'm going to leave him far behind me. I've got a bigger motor. I've got a more powerful motorcycle. I've got a higher top end. I'm going to leave him. And I, I proceeded to leave him. And he caught up to me and we're talking and he, he wants to have a conversation. And that's when he said that he got a bee sting through the eye. Oh, that, My name, his name gonna... is George Jackman. And I tell you what. I'm not sure that I know a harder riding, more character filled individual than George Jackman. I'm not sure I know anybody else bigger or badder or stronger than him. I don't think I do. And he said he was having trouble reading the directions, looking up, navigating, catching road signs with this blind and one eye issue. And I said, we'll do this together. You and I in the brotherhood, we're going to finish this together. You just ride right on my heels. Can you do that? And then I, I never even felt him behind me yeah. because when I stopped, he stopped. When I went, he went. When I slept, he slept. When I got up and going, he's going up and going. It was like he wasn't even there. And then when we're riding through Gowanda, New York, I said, that's the end of that, pal. I said, now we're coming up to the finish line. So that's <laughs> it. You pull up right next to me and we're going to ride side by side and we're going to finish this together because that's the way we rode it. Yeah. So cross the finish line together, tied for third. That's and awesome. 
Wow. It was just an incredible experience. And like I said, it was defining when you realize what you're capable of, because oh I had no idea that that's what I was capable of. But I'll go on to elaborate. That was just the beginning of my summer. <laughs> that was just the beginning. So that was the Hoka Hay Challenge. And you did that in when? What? I did that in um, would have been June, end of June right. into early July. Wow. And of course, and then Sturgis is not too short after that's in August. Sturgis is in August, but I it took me a long road to get to Sturgis. So that mileage that you did on that also counted towards. Now, were you able to use Rever during that? I was. Okay. I was able to run the Rever app. You just but because it is a GPS app that's running in the background, yeah. that was allowed. However, I wasn't able to use the map to figure out where I was. Right. I wasn't right. able to use the data to figure out where I was. And I wasn't allowed to reference it. So I just tracked it and stored it, tracked it and stored it and tracked it and stored it. And that's what got logged on to Rever. So that added, for me, it was about 11,000 miles because there were some wrong turns there that yeah. cost me. Um, that's the nature of it. If you didn't make a wrong turn, you didn't do it right. Because <laughs> it's hard. It is very, very, very hard to do. Well, just by the explanation that you just gave me on how they gave you the directions on which way, they specifically wanted you to go a certain direction and with certain directions, but it just seems like it was very painful. And so, it, so was. it was. I'm sorry? It was very, very difficult to follow because the vagueness of it. Yeah. So you knew that 16 connected into 20 or 16 connected into 50. And you knew that that was the only acceptable route to do. And if you deviated the route and you cut the corner or you joined up to whatever the successive route was, you had to go back and backtrack. And there were several instances where I was a hundred miles wrong, oh. 200 miles wrong. And I had to turn around and go back up realizing I'd missed a connection. Yeah. But how would they track that? How would they know? I have a fleet tracking device. Oh. Be- into my bike so they can track me to the second wherever i'm at now that everybody did everybody get one of those everybody's got one oh it's part of your entry into it that you have to buy the device and you have to activate it however most guys keep theirs activated all the time yeah so mine is active right now on my bike so if somebody wants to log into it they can see exactly where i'm parked right at the minute all right oh man so now Rever, they got their money's worth out of you. That's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. For the you know, so tell us about your mileage and, and what. Well, you you kind of sort of just explained your decision to to be the top mileage guy because it sounds like something you said. You know what? I'm going to do this. Well, it it was a backwards decision. What it was is I'm going to run the Hoka Hay Challenge, and then in running the Hoka Hay Challenge, somebody told me that there was this Rever app. They said, just load it onto your phone and start tracking and join America's Ultimate Long Distance Rider to see how you stack up against these other supremely badass guys. I mean, really hardcore riders. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll give it a shot. I'm not a real competitive guy by nature, but I'll give it a shot. I like to ride. And at the end, we'll see where I stack up. So, you know, after a couple of months, I was in the top 10 because I was doing the training rides testing out rain gear, testing out new supplies, testing out sleeping gear, sleeping in the rain. I live in South Florida. I had to ride over a thousand miles to go even find chilly weather. I had to ride a thousand, fifteen hundred miles to find cold weather. You know, so training was training. You know, you have to prove your gear out. And I went through several different versions of gear until I finally settled on exactly what I ride with now. 
Wow. I've got a closet full of stuff that's hanging up, but I only ride in a very, very narrow spectrum of that. Yeah. And I love that stuff. You know, it's solid as a rock. You know, you can get wet, you can get cold, and you can't ride. I can go through wet, I can go through cold, but I don't get cold or wet. I've got gear that keeps me just completely waterproof. Did you have any specific gear, like a a specific brand that you prefer over others? Oh, absolutely. Climb. Oh, no kidding. K-L-I-M, climb. And what's creepy, and I didn't realize it at the time, is that Polaris owns Climb. And they're the same people who manufactured my motorcycle (laughs) and built such precision into it. And Climb gear, it's just as good as it gets. There are other guys who ride other stuff, and they believe in it. But I can tell you what this has done for me. I've been in well below freezing temperatures. I've been in 15 hours of nonstop rain, and I can manage through all of that. Yeah. Well, that's And when you got the right gear, I mean, you pretty much can ride any kind of weather. That's exactly matter. it. And you got the right sleeping gear. You can sleep in absolutely anything. So you pretty much sleep and bag the whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I didn't spend a single night in the hotel in any of my journeying around. Right. What I do is I find some place off the side of the road to hide, and I live like a homeless person. <laughs> Laying in a ditch somewhere in a cornfield, behind a car lot, you know, somewhere hiding from the police, intruders, bears, whatever else is out there. Uh, so let me, let me ask you this. Let, hold, let me ask you this question. So during all of 2016, you're doing all these epic rides, and not once did you stay in a campground. No, never. Actually, no, I, I take that back. I really take that back. Let me reiterate that. In my entire riding of that whole year, I only went into a campground once, and that was in Sturgis. Oh, okay. Glencoe, Glencoe Campground. And that's because Glencoe is the party that Glencoe is. Right. But other than that, all of the riding around where I could have camped and I could have been in a cabin and a yeah. KOA and all nope, never not once. No okay. So you so really just you would like behind a dumpster somewhere by a McDonald's, right? That's it. You nailed it. And I've done that. <laughs> It was behind a dumpster behind a hotel, but oh, nonetheless, anyway, that's what nonetheless, it's behind a dumpster. Yeah, I, yeah, I envision I envisioned the scene. You've seen the movie uh, Wild Hogs, correct? I'm yes. Sure. Okay. I envisioned a scene where they were camping in the woods just off the road, and that was you, right? That was me every single time. No. And then wow. sometimes not even really off the road, sometimes just on the siding or the shoulder of the road. Well, see, now that would scare me because then I'd be concerned about somebody running off the road and running your ass over. Well, I mean, you know, the sidings where you have, you know, chain hookups where you, you know, take a big rig off the side of the road. And oh, you those, yeah, okay. Chains, and it's wide enough that, you know, it, it, and one, there, most of the roads I'm traveling, there's no traffic. Wow. And now you, you've got, yeah, I mean, you must, well, of course, you had all your meals on the side of the road as well. Um, During the Hokahay and the month that followed, I carried all my own food with me. Wow. So I didn't have to stop for anywhere to eat. Now, you must have lost weight, right? I did lose a little bit, but not much. I'd already started losing weight when I started training. I was a big, fat, 260-pound, you know, heading for a gold wing kind of guy. <laughs> Is that the prerequisite to owning a that's gold wing? Prerequisite. Way no, over you 200 pounds? Enough, you eventually get a gold wing, and that's where I was going. <laughs> and I leaned down to just below 200, which was, you know, that for me is fighting weight now. Yeah. And at that rate, um, I'm bigger and stronger than I've ever been in terms of muscle mass. But I'm trained. I'm really, really well trained. Very well trained. Well, that's you know, that's a lot of that's one thing that a lot of long distance riders or riders in general don't think about as as part of their preparation 
is the training, is the physical training, not so much the mental training, but the physical training for something like that. Yeah. And that's the mental is the biggest part of it. That really is. And once you get your head around that, your physical does have to follow you because that body has to follow your mind. And ultimately, the food that you fuel with is of critical importance. And I made all my own food to carry with me through my entire summer journey. The summer journey was the biggest, longest one of it. And that was 60 days. So I carried all the food I needed for that 60 days. Now, was this prepackaged food or did the stuff you made? Stuff I made. I ate the same thing day after day, meal after meal, every single time. And what it is is a combination of ground pecans, almonds, and cocoa powder and dates. Oh, so that's like non, it's non-perishable stuff. Non-perishable. It's a power ball. And each one is weighed out and measured out so it has enough alkalinity and it has enough saline and it has everything I need so that all I need are the power balls and water. And I eat one of them every hour. Each one is 100 calories. I'm awake 18, 19 hours a day. So that gives me just under 2,000 waking calories. And I always give myself a treat before, like four hours before I go to bed. Uh, chug a three ounce thing of applesauce. I love applesauce. And that kept you going all the time. That kept me going for 60 days. No, at any point did you say, you know what? I'm tired of this crap. Give me a freaking steak. Sure. Of course I did, (laughs) but I just kept on it because that's what rolls me and that's what fuels me. And I, you know, I can have a big meal and it's just going to hurt me and it's going to knock me down. And I love steak as much as anybody. I'm a meat eater. Um, and my whole routine is pretty much paleo in terms of what I eat for my own fuel. So, yeah, if I can get some meat somewhere, I'm a happy guy. But I just made the deliberate point of riding with the fuel that I carried to know that I was going to sustain myself. And that was what I did. Oh, did you eat on the bike while you were riding or did you make it a point to stop and eat? Well, I'll give it to you even cleaner than that. Um, the only reason I stop at all is to sleep. And that is just to sleep. And I stop to fuel. Okay. Well, you got to stop to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Well, here's here's where you get to the good part. Oh, boy. <laughs> I use the bathroom yeah. only when I fuel. Okay. So you and got, then yeah, that's... in the system that that is, I don't like to waste time because, for me, the endeavor is to keep moving. So while I'm pumping fuel, I usually pee on the front tire of the bike. <laughs> that, that, can't, that can't be good for the front tire. It doesn't matter. The front drive doesn't care. And as dirty as the bike is and as wet as it gets and as dried out as it gets, it just doesn't matter, nor does it care. Uh, the family in the station wagon right next to me fueling up doesn't appreciate it. No, I don't think so, no. no. But the reality is that, you know, as dirty as I am when I'm doing this, nobody really says anything. Wow. I kind of imagine you like eating one of your Powerball things and just whizzing on your front wheel and looking over at the people in the wagon and going, hey, how you doing? And that's exactly what it is. I'm a social guy, so yeah, I will chat with anybody. <laughs> you know, th- there is a certain line you want to try not to cross. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's probably you know, safe to say that I may have gone beyond that line. <laughs> okay. Um, so, was it, so doing this this mileage challenge, when you decided to do this, is was it something you decided to do, or you just say, hey, I'll enter it and see how it goes? It was by default. Exactly. Let's just see what it goes. I knew I was running the Hoka Hay. I knew I was going to be in Sturgis. And then how to connect those dots turned into the rest of it. But at at any point during that, did you say, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to win this. Um, That only happened. I I knew I was going to be a contender. Yeah. I got back to Florida and I looked at the mileage on the charts and I realized that I was at that point 
uh, I think I was in the lead. I was in the lead when I got back from my summer and I realized that I had a real good shot at it. And that's when I decided, you know what, instead of finishing the year lightly, I'll finish the year real hard. And that's what I did. Yeah. Wow. I, that's I, no, let me, let me ask you this. And you were talking about riding and fueling and, and training and at, at any point on this ride was fatigue an issue for you? Absolutely. Oh, yeah? Absolutely. However, what happens on a motorcycle is very different than what happens in a car or a truck or any other closed in environment and even a convertible or a Jeep out there on the motorcycle. You have stimulus coming at you from every direction you oh, can imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hot and cold, mm-hmm. wind, rain, steady. You're making hundreds of decisions every hour that if you make them wrong, you leave the road surface and bad things happen. That's right. And that stimulation is exactly what keeps my adrenaline moving. And that adrenaline over you know, a long, slow draw over the course of the entire day is what fuels me. And yeah. then when I'm done, fatigued and that happens um i know where my limits are i i have a formula i'm a 19 and 4 guy i'm 19 hours on the bike and i have to sleep for four hours that's my deal no kidding that's my deal and i can do that day after day after day after day well see now with me see now that's amazing because four hours sleep alone is just not on average for me i'm like five and a half hours a day sleep and that's because well, because I'm stupid and I don't go to bed. But for the rider, generally for me, with on my daily basis, it, I'm 18 and six. That's me. Okay, and, and I'm good. Everybody I'm good to go. has their own rhythm. Yeah. Thing is, as long as you're true to that rhythm, and you don't waste time in transitions, yeah. fuel stops, eating, gas stations, and stuff like that, you're going to make time and you're going to make distance. Right. And yeah. I'm I'm as good at it as anybody in terms of the efficiency that I ride with. I'm not faster than everybody that's out there. I, I can give you half a dozen guys that I've ridden with that are faster than me that will go faster and will pass traffic and will do things that I won't do. Right. And I can give you a bunch of guys too that are capable of riding much longer hours than I am. But that real narrow combination of efficient in the stop and then a reasonably short period of sleep yeah. with the yeah. endurance to do it day after day I have a unique combination of that, mm-hmm. and that's what makes me well suited for this kind of endeavor. Oh. Now, do you ever want? <laughs> this is stupid, but do you ever like you're riding? You know, you just you just woke up. Now, well, how long between waking up and getting back on the bike? Um, I wake up and I pack up my gear, and that takes me less than ten minutes. Uh-huh. So, from the time that I wake up until I'm riding away is about ten minutes. Now, during that, don't you go like, man? I wish I had a freaking cup of coffee. No, and that's that's one. one I don't. That that's the whole Starbucks reference. I really don't drink coffee very often. Okay, uh, I do drink a cup of tea, and yeah. I love myself a cup of tea. I really, really, really uh, do. But it's more the hot beverage than the caffeine. Yeah. Because when I'm long distance riding, I'm not on caffeine because it's only beneficial in certain doses up to a certain point, right. and it's detrimental. Right. So uh, I don't really do caffeine, but you know, there are sometimes when I wake up cold. And all I want is that hot beverage. Yeah. And then I got a solution for that. And that is? Gerbings. Gerbins? Gerbings. Gerbings. Okay, explain Gerbings. Gerbings is my middle layer of clothing. 
I wear a technical underlayer. Right, I wear okay. the climb outer layer. Okay. And the middle layer is this wonderful plug-in heated gear made by Gerbic. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that will beat the cup of tea any day. Well, yeah, but you need that internal satisfaction. That's where now, tea comes in. So I'm a tea guy. The, 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 the time that tea oh, the does, time. the ritual of it, that is that has its own special moments. Of course. But, you know, I find motivation wherever I find motivation. And, you know, for me, I'd seen a bunch of bears on the roadside in British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. And I'd seen them consistently over the course of about eight or ten hours where there were a lot of bears and they're all by the roadside. And then I started noticing that where the bears were, uh, I thought there were red flowers. I didn't really pay attention. It didn't occur to me what it was. But then when I realized they were raspberries, I start making like a bear. So every time I see a patch of red, I stopped and I ate all the raspberries I could pick. <laughs> I got back on the bike and I rode some more. And then I just feel I must have eaten two pounds of raspberries in 24 hours. <laughs> that must make for an interesting trip to the bathroom. Well, it makes it easy. I can tell you that. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really does make it very easy. Right, another question, not not related to food. Well, we're going to get back to food yet because I'm really interested in the food part. But sure, uh, sure. Uh, were you all the gear all the time? I'm sorry, say that again. Were you all the gear all the time? Wearing all my gear all the time, absolutely. Yeah. So the like... only thing that changed was sometimes there was a mid layer on, mm -hmm. sometimes there wasn't. Sometimes it was heated mid layer, sometimes it was insulated, and sometimes there was no mid layer. Right. But other than that, the technical underlayer. And the climb outerwear and the helmet all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. So, and that's really? 118 degree desert. Really? That's, you know, 22 degree, you know, frost. It's all the gear all the time. So was any of that compression wear? No, I don't do compression wear. I've heard that it's beneficial, yeah. but because I never experimented with it, it's just not in my routine. Oh, okay. But I'd be willing to give it a try if anybody wants compression wear tested. I'm your guy. I'll put that miles to the test with your compression wear. Send it to me. Yeah, because I've been uh, pondering doing a, an iron butt. Uh, not necessarily iron butt, a saddle sore 1000. So I'm thinking, so, you know, get some compression wear. Do that first. But it sounds like you've got your own formula for a more a successful ride, and it works for you, which is good. It does. But I think that, you know, there are advantages out there that I haven't tapped into yeah. that I'm willing to consider. And I understand the benefit of compression wear, and I'd certainly be willing to try that. Hey, do you ride with a camelback? I do. Two oh. of them. Oh, really? You you wear two of them? No, um, I don't wear any of them because oh. I don't like the feeling of it on me. Okay. But I've got one strapped. My bike has a Pelican box okay. on the back in place of a tour pack. Okay. And I've got one on top of the Pelican box, and then I've got one of them on my tank bag. Oh, so I okay. do carry two Camelbacks with me all the time. And how many ounces are they each? Um, each one is a gallon and a half. Oh, you got the big, big ones. Yeah. Wow. And that's what I realized is that, you know, the, some of the desert riding that I was doing, yeah. I went through Death Valley. It was 118 degrees. Ouch. Um, and that was nonstop riding. And I'm wearing full gear and you're sweating like no tomorrow. You vent it, which that's the beauty of climb gear is you can vent it to accommodate the heat. Yeah. And you just, it feels like you're living in freezing cold air conditioning because at <laughs> yeah. 80 miles an hour yeah. and with all this sweat coming off of you and you're drinking all the water you can drink. There was the first day of the Hoka Hay, I drank four gallons of water. Wow. Four gallons. That's a lot. That's a lot of water to be taking in. You have to drink like it's your job. Yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, and I did, and I survived. I made it all the way up to Crater Lake, Oregon, on the first day. Wow, that's not <laughs> that. That is impressive. Now you're chieftain. I'm actually looking at the chieftain right now as we talk. Um, I, I'm I'm not an Indian guy. I, you know, I, I I appreciate what they're doing. Uh, sure. How did the bike perform? I can tell you this. I'm going in for service tomorrow up in Daytona Beach. It's Daytona Bike Week yep. here. So I'm going to ride up to Daytona Beach. It's about 250 miles. And then before I even get to my first gas stop out of Fort Lauderdale, the bike is going to turn over 100,000 miles. Oh, wow. Oh. And that's a, that's a 2016. 15. 2015. 2015. I bought it when the 2016s were already released because it was just cheaper. Yeah. And I figured by the time I'm done with it, it's not going to have much value left on it anyway. Get the older one. That's okay. fine. They're identically the same. There was no difference between 2015 and 2016 except for a year. And if you're looking at resale value, which believe me, I'm not, um, it doesn't matter. Wow. It just doesn't matter. So I've got mine, and it's just now a year and a half old. And what engine does it have in it? It's got a 111 cubic inch yeah. Thunderstroke V-Twin. Right. And that performed really well for you, right? Unbelievable. And I can tell you this, not one single engine maintenance issue in 100,000 miles. I do my own oil changes on the roadside. Uh -huh. The longest oil change I've ever done is 10 minutes. And that's just because I wasn't really focused. <laughs> you weren't <laughs> focused. <laughs> focused. Yeah. You know, try that on your Harley. You got three different chambers of oil to drain and fill and oh know, wait so you're when you're talking you say you're changing oil you're not just changing the engine oil you're changing all your fluids engine transmission and primary drive all in one because it's all in one single sump oh no so, kidding <laughs> oh yeah you're right yeah wow how about that yeah that kind of makes sense. Out, and then a oil filter in the front yep drain it it drains in about four minutes and then it takes me longer to fill it than it does to drain it Wow. So look at that. So, wow. Yes. All one shot. Yeah. I mean, I have to, like, I got three different reservoirs I got to take care of. If I want right. to do that. I've got one. It's as simple as can be. And like I said, a hundred thousand miles, I haven't even changed the clutch. Oh. How many, how many sets of tires did you go through? Oh, I've been through several tires. I finally figured that out. It took me a while. Uh, you know, all your buddies have advice and everybody has the advice that works for their bike. Yeah. And then, um, it was, it first came to my attention one of our other Hokahe riders, a guy named Bruce Rhymes from, I think he's star Mississippi, somewhere in lower Mississippi, said he was running Dunlop American Elite tires. Okay. And he was getting 25,000 miles out of a rear tire. And I said, shut the front door. <laughs> there is no tire out there. At that point, I was running Dunlop Elite 4s. And I was getting 17,000 miles. And I thought that was phenomenal out of a rear Wow. And I switched to Dunlop Elites, American Elites. Yeah. I'm getting twenty two to twenty six thousand miles out of a rear tire. That is amazing. And I'm getting forty thousand miles out of a front tire. I got the Dunlop four twenty twos. Is that what they're called? Four twenties? I can't remember now. But I just got them. Yeah, I, well, you know, com comparing my riding to your riding is pointless because you know, ten thousand miles last year, and you chuckle at that. <laughs> so, <laughs> ten thousand miles is you know a good couple of weeks. Yeah, but you that's going for bread. That's what that yeah. is, right? <laughs> Seafood in LA. <laughs> what um, your all the routes that you rode? I mean, I I'll, obviously the Hoka Hay was one thing, and of course you know your, your other challenges you might have been part of, but your general riding, you you did some long distance stuff most of the time. 
Was there any specific points of interest that you wanted to hit on these rides? Because it looks like you went to some really bizarre places. That's true. I did. And there were directional places where it was an end of the road that I knew I was going to hit the end of the road there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of those was Homer, Alaska. It's as far west in Alaska as you can go on any paved road. Oh, nice. So I did that. And that was a direction that I knew I was going to hit. Um, I knew San Diego was a point that I was going to hit. I knew that Key West was a point that I was going to hit. I knew the tip of Maine was something I was going to hit. And I also knew that the end of Seattle was something I was going to hit. And then at some point, there are two points in the interior of the U.S. that I knew I was going to hit. One was Lebanon, Kansas, for no particular reason (laughs) other than it's the geographical center of the lower 48. Okay. And the other one is Belfouche, South Dakota which is the geographical center of the United States, if wow. you consider Alaska and Hawaii. Okay. So I hit all those seminal points. Plus, I knew I also wanted to hit every single state, plus D.C., don't leave that one out, in the course of the year. Man. And I also made a point of riding through most of the provinces of Canada. And you did this all in 2016? All in 2016. Did you make it to the Arctic Circle? I did not. Oh, see, that's it. You're, you're not my hero anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but there's always time. Uh, there's always it's time. in my plan this year to do it. And that I'm going to do at an off-road ride. Well, I, I was going to ask you that was my, my next question. How many off, how many dirt roads or, or non-paved roads did you hit with the Indian? Oh, good God. Um, there is perpetual summertime construction that's going on through British Columbia, the Yukon, um, Alaska, and then even through Alberta, where the roads are just gone, and it's sand and gravel. Um, So it is an unpaved surface, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of unpaved, and that was in the course of that run. And Indian handled fine on on the gravel and dirt? Well, there was one section that gave me real serious concern. Most of it is fine. Yeah. Most of the, the thing has a great balance point and handles well. And as long as you stay centered on it, you're fine. But there was one section, and I do remember it was in Canada. It was in British Columbia coming up to Lake Mucho near Toad River in British Columbia that they had what they typically do is they tear out a bridge. But before they do that, they build a siding with culverts that takes you across the river or stream right, and right. they use whatever river sand and river rock there is. And the stuff that they had laid down was non-compressible. <laughs> so yeah, it didn't work well. Yeah. And I was just hauling ass and I was having a good time and the music was playing and the iPod is rolling and I am making tracks. It's starting to get a little dark, but it's not terribly dark. Maybe it's 9 o'clock at night. The construction crews are gone, so I'm just moving along. And I ripped through a section that took about two miles to traverse of the softest, nastiest sand I've ever been in on a big bike. And I hit it at about 50, 60 miles an hour and panicked when I hit it because I knew as soon as the front wheel hit it, I knew what I was into because it felt like somebody just locked up my front brakes. And I grabbed a fistful of throttle and just kept on it wow. and then accelerated and stayed accelerating until I was about 80 miles an hour coming out of it. <laughs> panicked. Yeah. can imagine, you know, we have a I, saying in mountain biking that momentum is your friend. Most yeah, it, now, most people, if they, if they hit that, most people probably would have throttled back 
or hit the brakes? Well, I've got enough off-road experience to know that, you know, they say your throttle, it either speeds you to the inevitable or ends the suspense. <laughs> I and that's love exactly that. what it is. You know, yeah. One or the other is going to happen. And I laid on it when I finally got to the construction crew that was at the next one-way pilot crossing woman looks at me and she goes, do you have any problems back there? And I said, it was a little scary. And yeah. she goes, you didn't crash? I said, no. Nah. I said, it looked like it was scary for a minute. I think I might have crashed, but no, I was okay. And she goes, you know, you're the first heavy bike other than the dual sport BMWs to come through there in three weeks without crashing. Nice. That's perfect. In three weeks worth of bike transit, everybody crashes. And somehow I grabbed enough throttle and panic and made it through. Now, did you ever get out of the saddle during that? Um, I would have been clinching hard enough that rising up out of the saddle wouldn't have been possible. That and my <laughs> floorboards are forward enough that no, you can't really stand up. Oh, I could stand up on my heritage. Come on. No, my floorboards are far enough forward that there is no standing up. Really? I can stand up with a foot forward and a foot backwards on a rear peg and yeah. I can stand up, but it's not a comfortable position to be in for long. It's just long enough to adjust. Wow. Cause I used to, a couple of times when I, back when I had my sportster, uh, there are dirt roads here in Jersey. And a couple of times I got on the gravel dirt road, I'd get out of the saddle because you yeah, get it's more a control. good position to be in. Yeah. Um, and then regular ADV style of riding. Yep. That makes perfect sense. But no, for me, it was just, you sit and you stay centered and then you balance from your core so that there's no leaning. And then you don't give that front wheel any excuse to go anywhere but straight. That's right. And throttle is the only thing that keeps it going straight because there is no steering input that you're going to put to it. No, no, no. It's like, you know, like I said, mountain biking is one thing that I do a lot. So like riding through sand, there's there's no steering. It's just momentum. That's the Correct. only thing that gets you through it. And that's it. Uh, as far as it goes for all the places that you went, did you have a favorite place? Yeah, I really did. Um, and I just mentioned a part of it, you know, the terrifying section of sand road yeah. that nearly killed me. Um, that would have been right before I got to Lake Mucho. And I can tell you, in British Columbia, Lake Mucho and Toad River is some of the most beautiful area I've ever ridden through anywhere in the country. Wow. Canada, wow. U.S., Mexico, anywhere. That's as beautiful as it gets. You know, you're doing all this mileage, though, and I have to wonder, especially a lot of these guys who do the uh... – the Iron Butt Challenge, which is that 11,000 miles over 11 days, and uh, guys who are uh, like extreme riders like yourself, long-distance riders. Do you ever get the chance to actually enjoy the scenery while you're doing this? Absolutely. I don't miss any of it. Okay. You know, whether I'm rolling through there and I'm doing it, uh, Lake Mucho, I actually went for a swim. <laughs> I stripped down and went for a swim because I was at that point uh, three days out of the last shower, and Ew. it was going another two days before I hit my next one, possibly. So, yeah, the opportunity to clean off, even in very cold water, was a welcome opportunity. But, uh, no, I do stop and eating raspberries by the side of the road. Um, I got a chance in um, Alberta to ride next to a herd of buffalo that was in the road. Oh, so I'm wow. sharing a lane with a buffalo. Awesome. In formation with it. And that was just cool. Wow. And stuff like that happens. And then, you know, all these different adventures, they all come with their own sense of, you know, what's to wonderment around it. And you're right. Some people like to stop and smell the roses and really spend some time exploring and connecting with the people. That's the only thing I miss is I don't really connect with people on the rides as much. But I do get there and yeah. I see and I absorb it all. Oh, that's good. 
I just got that. Do you prefer the day or night riding? Um, the nature of what I do, this 19 and four, which is my routine, demands that I get up before the sun's up and I ride until after the sun's down. Yeah. But I do not spend any waking hour not riding. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I mean, but as far as it goes for a preference, do you prefer the day or the night oh, hours? Much prefer the day riding. Much, no, much prefer the day riding. Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys like a lot of guys like night riding. My brother, for example, my one of my co-hosts, Chris, he he doesn't he likes riding at night. Yeah, because there's less people on the road and it's just more serene, I suppose. I I I prefer day because I like to see what's going on. And from that perspective, I agree with you that there's more stimulus during the day, yeah. and it keeps me engaged more. So I do prefer the day riding, even though I know for a fact I can make more mileage at night. So when I'm doing an iron butt, you know, challenge, mm-hmm. I will ride at night, primarily at night. Wow. Of course. Now getting, I know you told us about you had your food that you eat, your little, your little, mm-hmm. your little power ball thingies that you're eating. Did I, I noticed you, you did sample some other foods while you were out there. Cause some of those places you stopped at looked pretty interesting in the Southwest. Oh, uh, sure. A couple of places. Now, how was that? Was some of the road food good? Oh, I love it. I, well, first off, you know, more of my background. I'm a trained professional chef. Oh. There's a private chef um, all over the world and work for some of the wealthiest people in the world doing that. Chefing on private yachts, private jets, and in people's homes and estates. Um, was even the chef for the vice president for a period of time. Oh, how about that? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, cooking I know and good food I know. And, you know, you don't balloon up to 260 pounds skipping a meal. <laughs> oh, I guess not. No, you don't. So, I mean, I really, I really love food and there are places that I will love to go to. And I go back to frequently because they're in a common traveled route. And then there are other little one-off places that you're like, wow, I don't know where this came from, but I'm digging it. In fact, next month there's a run, which really takes us to other than the cheeseburger that accessible year round, um, at In-N-Out Burger. Right. Love California, Arizona, New Mexico, in and out Burger. I love that. But other than that, if I'm going to ride 3,000 miles worth of a round trip to get a cheeseburger, yeah. I'm going to Moonshine, Illinois, April 8th. Oh, really? Moonshine, Illinois, April 8th? And what is going on there? Well, as I understand it, and I could very well be wrong, but that's my understanding of it, was Farmer and right next to Cary, Illinois, so it's south of Chicago, um, was busy taking care of his store and his fields, and he's a Harley rider, and his buddies were out for a ride, and they said, come on, join us. He goes, no, I'm too busy with the store, too busy with the fields, can't do it, but if you guys swing by the store, I'll buy you a cheeseburger. And I think three guys showed up, and he bought them cheeseburgers. Did the same thing the next year. Hang on, wait for it. Six guys showed up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Twelve years later, thirty-two hundred guys showed up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he doesn't buy them anymore. You pay for your own. I but I tell you, you know, if you're a long-distance rider or you're an endurance rider and you're not in Moonshine, Illinois, you're missing it. So that's April eighth. April 8th. April 8th. Let me go check to my calendar to be absolutely sure because I think it's April 8th or April 10th, but it is a Saturday. Okay, yeah, April 8th is Saturday, a Saturday. you want to be there before noon if you can. 
Um, but it is unbelievable. Oh, that's yep. funny. Saturday, April 8th. <laughs> that's funny. Wow. And the real hardcore guys, they ride in, they get their cheeseburger, they ride out the same day. Was there any bad meals on the road? Oh, sure. <laughs> I've had bad meals before. Um, there <laughs> is a place, uh, I might as well mention it, usually I would avoid you know dragging somebody's name through the mud, but it's a place called the Little Nashville Restaurant. And the only reason I reference it is because I've actually eaten there twice. Once I ate there and recognized that it was just not edible food. But you went back. No, I was on another run. I was tired. I was freezing cold. And I just, next to the gas station, there was this place. I stumbled in there and then it hit me. I've been here before. And I couldn't place whether it was this or that. I didn't remember it fully well enough because I blocked it out of my memory. And sure enough, it's <laughs> place, and the food is every bit as terrible the second time. Oh, my God. So, so you just forgot that you stopped there. Correct. <laughs> but there are places that are equally as charming that I go back to again and again. And, you know, running during the winter, I do a lot of southern tier route I back and forth, yeah. California and stuff. You know, the I-10 route and, you know, the side roads, Big Bend in Texas. There are two things that I really love. And that's anything that's big and flavorful or anything is heavy meat. And I can tell you this. If you've never been to Terralingua, Texas, you're missing something. Mm. Really missing something. And usually in Texas, to get competition chili, you have to go to a competition. But there's a place called the Desert Inn. Or no, the Sierra Inn. I think it's Sierra Inn. It's the only really happening place in Terralingua. There ain't much going on there. But they have a bowl of chili. So I sat there and I ate two bowls of chili, drank two cups of coffee, and then took off and then rode into New Mexico off of that fuel and had a great time. Wow. There's another spot in Deming, New Mexico that I don't know why it is, but I seem to hit breakfast in Deming, New Mexico more than any other place I've ever traveled. Ah, food, must, just, food must be good, right? It's good food. There are only two good restaurants in town, but it seems to have it going on for me. And breakfast is always the time that I seem to be through there. No matter when I take off riding, no matter what my route is, if I'm anywhere near Deming, it seems to be at breakfast and I'm freezing cold. High desert, freezing cold. How many times did you stop at a Cracker Barrel? I can honestly tell you, I had my fill of that once. Uh, <laughs> once. Just, once. Um, just because yeah. um, it, I rode with some people who were from where I used to live. I used to live in St. Martin in the Caribbean. Oh, I escorted some friends who wanted to come to America to mm -hmm. go to a big biker rally. I escorted them. And for whatever reason, they were just hung up on Cracker Barrel. So I stopped at every flipping Cracker Barrel from Florida to South Dakota for them. I'll never do it again. Not ever. I, I don't think I will ever eat in a Cracker Barrel ever again in my life. I guess I can ruin it for you. So no, well, when, when, well, switching gears a little bit, when yep. you weren't uh, when you weren't running on the challenge and sleeping by the side of the road, did you ever stay at hotels at all? Or no, you, really. Wow. No. So now, you, now the whole showering thing for a couple of days didn't bother you. Um, I've got an answer for that, and what it is is I'm sponsored by a chemical manufacturer. Um, they manufacture chemicals. They're the ones who make the fuel additive that I put in my gasoline that even when I pump bad gas, and we've all had bad gas that you knew as soon as you put it in your bike, it was going to hamstring you. Really? I have fuel additive that smooths that out. 
It's amazing stuff. It's called Startron. And Starbright is the manufacturer of it. Starbright is the chemical company that sponsors me in my riding. And they are material sponsors in terms of they'll give me anything that it takes for me to get my job done riding. Okay. And one of the best things they ever gave me was a product called Performicide. Okay. What's that you say? What's that I say? Yes. Performicide is chlorine dioxide. So it's like peroxide, but done exactly the way that you do chlorine in the form of peroxide. Okay. So it comes in a sachet. You put it in a water, and then you put it in a spray bottle, and you spray that on the inside of your gear. And it smells a little bit like pool water. Okay. That's the best description of it. All right. But it will knock the odor out of anything, knock the bacteria out of anything. And what I do is I spray myself with it. I spray my gear with it. And then even after 12 days on the road with a hoka hay, with not one single shower, oh. not one single shower in 12 days, and I came out smelling fresh enough that I could give somebody a hug and they didn't throw up in their mouth. Yeah, but did you, <laughs> but did you feel clean? Yeah, it actually works well enough because I use wet wipes and I use Performicide and that really will keep me rolling. But uh, typically, I'm a truck stop shower guy. That's fine. That's fine. So, you know, every three days or so is kind of my routine. I'll truck stop shower, and I enjoy that. That's fine. You know, just get a little clean. Well, of course, the jumping in the lake or in the in the river yeah. it usually helps, too. Anytime I, I find an opportunity to be in fresh water, a yeah. lake, a stream, a creek, or something like that, I do. I get in as fast as I can get in. <laughs> Did you ever have any law enforcement say, hey, you there in the river, you, you can't be bathing there? <laughs> I had law enforcement issues, but it was usually when I was sleeping. Oh, really? No kidding. Yeah, and that's my biggest single concern is that somehow I'm going to upset local law enforcement somewhere by my being where I'm being. And during the Hoka Hay, I joined in with a few other riders, and rain was approaching, and we saw an opportunity. There was a Dairy Bell ice cream store somewhere in the Midwest, and they had a covered awning and picnic tables. So we just took advantage of that. We parked our bikes right next to them. That's the rule. Sleep next to your bike. And we were under some shelter. And as soon as we laid down, local law enforcement came up and they said, hey, fellas, you know why we're here? It's like, yeah, let's pack up and go. He goes, no, you don't have to pack up and go, but we need to make sure you got no warrants and you're all good to ride. Okay. That out. That's all right. And, and he said, you know, we asked if you want him to leave. And he said, no, he said, you can stay. We haven't gotten a complaint. But if the owner does complain, we're going to have to move you along. And he says, otherwise, we're going to check on you two or three times during the night, make sure you guys are okay, and everything will be fine. They yeah. couldn't have been nicer. Oh, that's awesome. I see. That, then, that's, that's fine. That's cool. Now, yeah, you another know. time in Ohio, I'm sitting on the side of the road, and this was, you know, just me making a casual run doing my thing. And I'm talking to my girlfriend on the phone, but I pulled over to have the conversation, and two police officers successively pulled over next to me and they said, Hey buddy, just want to make sure you're okay. Is everything okay? Could not be nicer. That's so North great. Central Ohio state troopers. That's great. Could not have been nicer to me. That's great. You know, love the law enforcement. I like what they, that's, they help out. That's great. They really do. And I've never had a bad encounter Good. with any of them anytime, anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's just, they've been nothing but pleasant with me. You know, I talked about this, about the, the camping out thing. Did you ever consider Walmart's? Because they, oh, they, yeah. they welcome RVs all the time. So I just, right. why would they? Guys in tents, they do not like guys laying uh, on the ground. Really? I know that for a fact. But when I see a Walmart and I'm tired and I know it's just going to be a quick sleep, I'll sneak in there. 
There you go. Why not? You and go. then the key there is you go find the guy in the green flashing light vehicle. Uh-huh. You find him first. Yeah. And tell him what you're doing. I'm going to lay down for four hours. I'm going to go inside and buy some breakfast stuff and then water. And then I'll be out of here before daylight. And usually they're very okay with it. Oh, that's good. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, so now tell me what's next for Paco and what challenges is coming up for you guys? Well, uh, moonshine, the cheeseburger run to moonshine. That's August 8th. Right. Or April, I'm sorry, April 8th. And then in, believe it's June, there is the Dust to Dawson rally, which is an off-road rally in Alaska, and I'll ride up there on the BMW. I've got an F650 GS that I'll ride from Florida to Alaska. I'll do the run up there, and then I'll return. And then there is Hillbilly Hot Dogs in West Virginia, which is a Hokey reunion ride, and that's, I believe, in July. Um, and that's pretty much what's on the schedule plan so far. And then of course the Sturgis rally. Okay. How much riding do you do when you go to Sturgis? Do a lot up there? Yeah. What my routine is, is I get up before dawn and I go out for my own ride. And then when everybody struggles out of their hangover, wake up, whenever they wake up 10 o'clock noon and they're ready to go ride, I'm already 400 miles worth of riding (laughs) coming back and I'll go do another 300 with them. And then after they're done, if there's no good partying to be done, I'll do another 200 in the evening of my own run. But I'll get in close to 800 miles a day very easily up there. Wow. So when do you cook for these people? <laughs> I just You're riding all the time. Um, I'm actually retired now. Oh, um, really? I used oh. to work full time. And then I managed to make enough money that I've got enough that if I stay on a very well-defined budget, I'm good for the rest of my life. That's perfect. So so in that case, there is no Mrs. Paco. There is a Mrs. Paco. There is a Mrs. But does she ride with you? She does. She has her own Indian. No kidding. Scout. Her Mrs. Paco's name is Beth. Okay. Well, we like Mrs. Paco. That, that sounds good too. That works. That works. That certainly works. Would you like to see Mrs. Paco? Here she's right here. Well, I can't I can't I can't see you don't have your camera turned on actually. Oh, good God. I'm sorry. I thought I it's had a, my camera no. turned on. <laughs> um, here we go. Camera. Here's, there. Here's Mrs. Beth. Oh, hi. Hi, hi Mrs. Paco. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. Me too. Great. So now, do you guys do all this long riding together? No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> so you just pat- A long ride for me is 30 minutes. That's it? Maybe, maybe 60. Okay. Well... <laughs> So Beth is more of a short destination rider. She so, likes to ride, but so the you, long distance stuff is exclusively me. Right. So you pack his lunches and get get out of here, right? Oh no, yeah. no, she doesn't do the food. Yeah, no. Okay. Wow, that's awesome. Now, at any point, do you guys hook up at somewhere and and do a ride together? Well, yeah. So if you're across the country, it's kind of yeah. hard. But uh, Beth works as a meeting planner and travels all over the country. So when she's done with her meetings, I've met her in Newport. Uh, California, Newport Beach, California. We've got another one coming up in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. We've got another one coming up in Seattle. So Vegas. Vegas. Um, yeah, wherever wow. she's at, I'll ride out there and we'll go enjoy some time together. That's great. What, what do you ride, Beth? An Indian Scout. You're on a Scout. Okay. Do you have saddlebags and a whole windshield and everything on there? I've got the whole shebang. Wow. Yep. Look at that. Hey, look, yeah. a family that rides together stays together, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, the Indian Scout is great because it's a low center of yep, gravity. It is. 
and my feet touch and I'm a new rider. So it's really important. So how long have you been riding? Two years. Two years now. And let's say I ride once a month at best. That's that's you're riding. That's what matters. Exactly. And it's fun because we share the, the, we share it together. Yeah. Well, so the scout is a very light bike as well. It's, it's, yeah. it's one of the lighter bikes out there. You know, I, I was pretty amazed at the local IMS show. Uh, we went up to, I checked that. I was surprised at how light the bike is. Are you drinking wine? I am drinking wine. <laughs> We're having a dinner party. I've You're got on. friends over. I cook corned beef. We've got cabbage. It's the usual party. Right here. Right. <laughs> so when are you shipping out on the road again? Uh, I go tomorrow to Daytona Beach yeah. um, because, believe it or not, I wore out a saddlebag. I didn't even know that was possible. How do you? You got hard bags on that, right? I've got hard bags on it, but it just wore out. Now, the, um, how do you miles, work? distance, time, stress. Yeah. It's stress cracked and fractured. Oh, and I'm on my second saddlebag now. Um, but I tell you, in the world of failures, if that's what goes wrong on your bike, you're you, doing pretty good. You are doing pretty good. So, what do you listen to? <laughs> bye, bye, Mrs. Paco. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what do you listen to when you're on a bike? I got an iPod. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing that's utterly reliable. I do satellite radio. I do, you know, Pandora when I can. Yeah. But the iPod is predictable. And the things that I like best is uh, blues. Okay. Um, I really love blues. Great. Yeah, it's like country music with yeah. more sadness and more depth. All right. Know what you got to do? You got to give me your address. I'll send you a copy of uh, my CD. Oh, I love uh, that. Yeah, we got we got some good music coming out. But hey, um, that's great, man. Uh, what was it? So you have you're using an iPod, it's like yeah. one of the iPod Classic. Like what um, is, what, it is the is Mini it? iPod Mini. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, huh. it's it, it holds you know what four days worth of music, and I just you know put it onto random shuffle and it just sings through it. And I've got all kinds of different music loaded up on there, and I love it. Oh, and that's, that's what keeps me moving. And you know. Sometimes it's through the speakers. Sometimes I have a Bluetooth headset that I okay. wear. It just depends on you know how it works best. Now, Every you, now and then it works on tape. Do you use any helmet communication? Um, I don't have any built into the helmet. Yeah. Just because I haven't evolved to that level yet, but I do have a molded, custom fit Bluetooth headset oh. um, that I love, absolutely love. But it's uh, wire free, yeah. so it only stays charged for about four hours. Really, so that's it. You're constantly cycling in and out. So every other gas stop, I charge it and then put it back in, and charge it and put oh. it back in. So I thought that's you would have had a, a a charging station right on your bike. I do, but oh. there's no way to get the wire ah, into okay. the Bluetooth charger yeah. without feeling that you're somehow tied to the bike. And <laughs> yeah. I don't like that feeling at all. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> all right. So how can people follow you uh, on your travels? Okay, the way to do it is this. If you go to the website, usft.com, okay. which stands for usfleettracker.com, okay. and then you enter the website, and on the top button bars on the top, you'll say device login. You okay. click that bar where it says device login, okay. and it'll give you the option to load in your username. Okay. And username, now here's where it gets complex. It is the type of bike that I ride as one word, all lowercase. So Indian Chieftain, one word, all lowercase. Okay. And then that's the username and the password. Hang on a second. Wait for it. It's a little complex. Okay. I get a pen. Okay. 
all lowercase, one word, go Paco. Go Paco. That's it. All right. And then right. you can actually follow me, not just when I'm on a travel, but you can follow me when I'm riding to the grocery store. So like, you have to actually give them your username and password yeah. and all do that? Really? Sure. Uh -huh. And then anybody who wants to log in can log in. And I'll let you know that I disabled the features, even though it looks like you can still select them, that you can honk my horn and you can <laughs> shut my bike off. Disable those features. Why would anybody want to do that? I don't, I don't know. No, no, my buddies did it. Yeah, trust me, that already happened. Oh, That's why I disabled them. <laughs> Because my buddies are funny. All right. And you do have a Facebook page? Do you have a Twitter page? And all that stuff? Uh, my Facebook us. page is just my uh, username is Paco, P-A-C-O, and then second name, Pero Suave, P-E-R-R-O-S-U-A-V-E. -E. One word. Right. Paco Pero Suave. Okay. And uh, great. Do you have any videos on YouTube? I don't think I do, although I'm in some videos on YouTube. I hope that they didn't show my face very fully and clearly. I really hope so. Kind I really of, hope so. Kind of suspicious, right? Well, yeah, I, I absolutely positively know there's stuff that I don't want to be seen, but you know, I may be there. Could happen. I just thought maybe you might have had some of your own on YouTube. No. <laughs> okay. I'm All right. I'm like that, yeah. Well, listen, uh, so now you're in the 2017 Mileage Challenge with River again, correct? That is okay, correct. So people can follow that. Uh, and if you want, you can get on the Motorcycle Men group, uh, Motorcycle Men group page on uh, on Rever, and we can all follow you there as well. So we'll, we'll do that. I'll get you on there. But, awesome. Uh, Paco, thank you very much for joining me here on the Motorcycle Men podcast. Please, by all means, ride safe while you're out there, okay? I will indeed, Ted. Thank you. It was very much a pleasure right, getting great. a chance to have a chat with you. Great. Thank you very much for being on the show, and we'll keep an eye out for you. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. All right, then. Thank you very much for listening. This is Ted, and this is the Motorcycle Men Podcast, episode number 82. And you just heard our friend Paco, the 2016 Rever Mileage Challenge winner. So now listen, everybody, get out there and ride your bikes, man. Uh, the weather's starting to get better here in the Northeast, and pretty soon we're going to be hitting the road. And you can remember now, you can follow Paco on Rever, and you can also join the Motorcycle Men group on rever just look that up and join the group and when we start doing some rides this summer and uh the season coming up we're gonna have some uh some little rides of our own we can get together maybe some challenges whatever but anyway thank you very much for listening uh please by all the means if you want to donate to the podcast and help us improve get you more stuff uh, by all means, please go to our homepage and you can click on that donate button or you can get to click the donate button that's on the episode page or if you feel like donating per month by all means you can also click the subscribe button and subscribe to the podcast and as little as a dollar will help out anything you want to give that'd be great thank you very much for listening don't forget to please check out our friends over at loud pipes throttle podcast motorcycles and misfits cleveland moto uh also the cafe racer podcast also wheel nerds and motorific just check all these guys out. They're great podcasts. There's something you want to listen to. Also, check out our our um, our sponsors, uh, Love Jugs, love-jugs.com. Cool down your V-twin. That's what you want to do. And, of course, Ciro 3D. They got great stuff for your bike. If you're looking for stuff for your big twin, your Harley, this is the company you want to go to. Check out Ciro3D.com. All right, guys. Take care. Ride safe now. Bye-bye.